Our Old Testament reading is from Job chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. Job 9, 1 through 12. Let's give all our attention now to God's holy word. Then Job answered and said, Truly, I know it is so. But how can a man be righteous before God? If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? He removes the mountains, and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place, and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun and it does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He does great things, past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? Our New Testament text is Matthew 14, verses 22 through 36. Matthew 14, 22 through 36. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all the surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Pray with me now as we seek the Lord together. Lord, we pray for your mighty, powerful working with us now as we sit under your word together. Let me not bear broken testimony to so great a redeemer. Let, let all of us not, not hear uh, as those who hear but don't hear. But Lord, give us understanding and faith, hope, and love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
Discipleship is a process. It's an ongoing process. It's not a, uh, you, 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 kinda, you, you hit this point where you arrive with following Jesus Christ. Um, it's something that you grow in, right? Over, this, over a period of time, as you learn more and more about who Jesus is, as you learn more and more about what it means to follow Jesus, um, that you come to see new things. You come to understand what it means to be part of his kingdom. It's this process of growth. Uh, there's ups and there's downs. Um, if you followed Jesus for any length of time, you can, I'm sure, see this in your own life. There are times when you're growing. There are times when you weren't growing as well. There are times when you saw things clearly. There are times when you didn't see things as well. There were times where you thought you understood something well, and then ten years later it finds out you had no idea at all what you were talking about. All right, we've, uh, if, if we've walked with Jesus, we understand this. Um, and, 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 and we get this picture of discipleship unfolded for us in the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Matthew, of this process of, of coming to see more clearly through fits and starts um, who Jesus is as he leads his disciples deeper and deeper in, into faith, uh, deeper into trust, deeper into to reliance on him and confidence in who he is. And we see this this morning in the text, in particular here, we see this lesson in discipleship for us. This lesson in who Jesus is, what his kingdom is, what it means to follow him. Um, it's a lesson for disciples. It's a lesson for little faiths. As we'll see in a little while, in, 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 as we're unpacking the text, Jesus addresses Peter. He says, oh, you of little faith. Uh, the Greek is, is one word, little faith. Why did you doubt? Right? In this section, we're getting lessons for little faiths. Sounds like a name out of Pilgrim Progress, right? But this, this is who we are. Uh, we're disciples. Some faith, but it needs to grow. It needs to be strengthened. And, and here Jesus is doing just that. He is giving us lessons in discipleship for you and me um, in, our, in our faltering faith. As, as we begin, I want, I want you to get a sense of the context here as we're, as we're diving in at the end of chapter 14. Uh, remember last week, Jesus has just fed over 5,000 people with five small loaves of barley bread and, and two fish. Or just, it's, 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 it's this incredible miracle, this act of, of, of creation showing his unthinkable power. Before he does that amazing miracle, he goes about healing people all day. There beside the Sea of Galilee, He's, he, he, he touches someone and their pain, the chronic pain they've had for years, just disappears. Or their eyes, they've never been able to see. He, he speaks a word and suddenly they can see. Or he, he goes to this crowd there on the Sea of Galilee doing all these things, healing and, and, and giving life to this, this crowd there of thousands and thousands of people. And then he feeds them with this miraculous meal. There's uh, just amazing power. Astonishing power. What, what would the atmosphere have been like on the, on the edge of the Sea of Galilee as you, you, you've just seen all of this happen before your very eyes? And you, 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 you've heard his preaching, the kingdom of heaven is coming. The end of the ages when God comes down and brings peace and blessing and righteousness and freedom from oppression is coming. What are you thinking? Let's make him our king now. Right? Look at this power. I mean, with this power, the Roman Empire can't stop him. Right? Let's make him, let's make him our king now. He can feed us everything we need. He can heal. We'll never be sick again. We'll never be hungry again. We'll probably never have to work again. The kingdom of heaven is here. 
if Jesus wanted to work the crowd and start a revolution, uh, th- this would be the perfect time to do it, wouldn't it? Right, everything's going in his favor. Right? John, John's Gospel tells us that um, the people are ready to come and make Jesus their king by force at this point. Uh, they're ready to demand that he be their, their king. Um, and surely this is exciting for Jesus' disciples. Right, this is the moment. Um, that they've been waiting for, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, as Jesus' status goes up, their status goes up. Right? They're going to reign with him in this kingdom. They think um, this is an exciting moment for them. But, but then Jesus stops it, all of it. Um, he didn't come to start a political revolution. Uh, he didn't come to uh, kick out the Romans and, and, and be popular and influential. Um, he came to bring the kingdom of heaven, but it's not a kingdom of this world. And so just as the crowds start to clamor for his kingship, completely misunderstanding what his kingship really means, he sends them away. And just as his, as his disciples are, are getting excited, he makes them get in the boat by themselves without him and go across the lake to the other side. Um, why is Jesus, why is he doing this? Sending the crowd away, sending his disciples away, making them get in the boat. It's a very forceful word in the, in the Greek. Makes them, orders them into the boat and sends them across the lake. Why, why is he doing this? I think one part, is it's been a long day, an exhausting day. I remember he came to this spot on, this, uh, on the Sea of Galilee in the first place to get some alone time, and then the crowds were there waiting for him, so he ministered to them. But, but now he knows that he needs this time alone with his father, this time in prayer uh, that, he's going to, that, he's, that he's going to spend. He needs time to pour out his heart to his father in heaven and ask God to be at work in his ministry. But I think he also is sending the disciples in particular away here because um, their understanding of him and his kingdom and discipleship is still very partial. It, it, it's still, um, it, 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 there's some understanding, but, but they are little faiths. They don't have a robust and strong and, and clear faith yet. And, and there's a lesson that he wants them to learn. Several lessons. And they're going to learn it best by going out on their own in that boat across the lake. Three lessons, loved ones, that we are particularly shown here about being disciples. I want to look at these together now uh, through the rest of this text. Three essential lessons about discipleship here. Number one, Jesus doesn't calm the storm. Number one, Jesus doesn't calm the storm. Um, He sends the disciples out across the lake into the storm, and then he lets them stay in the storm for a while. Um, We get this split-frame view of the action in verse 23 and 24. On the one hand, there's Jesus. He's up on the mountain. Um, he, he, he's, he's beside the lake up on, this, up on this hillside. He's spending the night alone in prayer with his heavenly Father. And then on the other hand, on the other frame, you have the disciples. And they're out in the middle of the lake on this boat. They're, they're battling this storm way out in the middle of the lake, um, um, straining with all their might to get this boat to go forward. And the wind's against them. The waves are against them. And they're making, making no progress at all. It's a striking change in circumstances for them, isn't it? A few hours earlier, they were enjoying a miracle supper on the grassy shores of the Sea of Galilee, and now they're all alone, middle of the lake, middle of the night. Jesus isn't anywhere around, and as far as they know, he has no way of getting to them. Um, and Jesus, uh, Jesus knows this, right? 
he, he's not far from the lake. He, he probably, he's probably, in, in, the storm's probably on the shore of the lake as well, right? Not just on the lake. He knows the storm's going on. Um, he knows that he sent them out into this storm. Um, he knows that they're, they're in the boat because he made them get into the boat. But he doesn't stop the storm. He, he could. He doesn't, he doesn't even have to go out to them, does he? We already saw him earlier in Matthew's Gospel. What does it take for Jesus to stop a storm if he wants to stop a storm? Peace. Be still. And it's over. That's all he has to say. So he knows they're on the lake. He knows they're in the storm. And he says nothing. He does nothing. He just keeps praying to his father. He waits. He waits till the fourth watch of the night, we're told in verse 25. Fourth watch of the night, um, the Roman division of the night into four watches, that that means between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So it's early in the morning, all night long. He's teaching them this vital lesson here, isn't he? That Jesus doesn't always calm the storm. That, that Jesus sometimes sends you straight into the storm. And then he doesn't calm it. He lets it, he lets it go on. He's teaching us that following our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't give us immunity from, uh, from, from challenging circumstances. In fact, the opposite is, is often true, isn't it? That if you're going to obey Jesus... And, and do what he says and go where he sends. It's going to lead you straight into challenging circumstances. Um, th- th- this is what discipleship is, right? It's, it, it, it's saying, Lord, it's more important to me to obey you and, and go where you send me no, no matter what than it is for me to be comfortable or to feel safe. Um, so Jesus, Jesus sends his disciples into storms. We shouldn't be surprised then when situations come up, circumstances come up that are challenging and, uh, and painful and difficult and strenuous for us. And when those situations go on and on. Peter writes to the church, uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised when the storm hits. And don't be surprised when the storm doesn't leave, when, when the trial goes on and on and Jesus doesn't seem to come and stop them. Uh, that, that should also not be a surprise to us. This is also part of being a disciple of Christ. In, um, in our evening sermons uh, last Lord's Day, we were looking at um, uh, the life of, of, of Isaac and how he and his wife prayed for a child for 20 years waiting in the Lord to answer that prayer. 20 years, right? This long period of just waiting, trusting. No answer yet. But the storm that goes on and on and on. Where, where, where is the Lord to come? We read about this in Paul's experience. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 7-9, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So you may have something like that. You pray and pray and the answer is no, not yet. And the relief doesn't come. You will have something like that as a disciple of Christ. 
an all-night storm, a 20-year grief. We don't... We, we want it fixed, right? Lord, just fix it now. Is what I'm, the lesson I'm learning here really worth it? It doesn't usually feel like it. Um, we, we like the quick fix, the instant results. We want the solution yesterday. Um, but the Lord is taking His time with us. He, 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 he's teaching us to slow down and trust Him and get used to the cross on our shoulders that we're bearing. Learn, loved ones. Learn to wait on Him and to grieve under it and lament it and be patient under it and to trust Him in all of it and, and, and to learn that the first thing in any trial is not to fix it and make it go away, but to trust Him and not fear. If He sent you into it, He'll be with you in it. That's the first thing, uh, the first lesson we learned here. The second lesson, loved ones, is that Jesus is still Jesus in the storm. Jesus is still Jesus in the storm. Um, the storm doesn't change who Jesus is. Jesus finishes his prayer as early in the morning, right? We said between 3 and 6 a.m. Um, and he goes out now to his disciples. Now it's time. He's going to act. Uh, so he goes out to his disciples. They're way out in the middle of the lake by this time. Uh, the, 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 the winds are strong. The, the waves are big. Um, but Jesus, Jesus just walks out to them across these waves of the sea. Um, walks out on the water towards their boat. Oh, it's shocking. Can you imagine seeing that? This raging storm, and he just calmly walks through it all and stands on top of the waves as he walks through just the mind-blowing power there, right? the, the incredible supernaturalism of this, this event, that Jesus, no fear, perfect confidence and calmness, he can walk on the waves, goes out to the boat, walking across the water with no more difficulty than you or I could walk up the aisle. Right? It's just by his almighty divine power, this miraculous power of God at work, the, the water becomes firm under his feet. Um... The disciples see it, and they are, they are terrified. They, they start crying out in fear. They, they think it's a ghost. They can see it's, it's still pretty dark, I'm, I'm guessing, um, and, uh, uh, if, it's, if it's this early in the morning, and there's this figure coming out to them through the, through, the, through, through the storm here, walking across the surface of the lake, and the only explanation they can think of is this must be a ghost. Uh, they should know better, right? They, they, they shouldn't be superstitious. They should trust. They should know. Of course, it's Jesus coming out to us on the lake. Uh, of course, if anyone's going to be walking on the lake, it's only Jesus. Um, but, but they're terrified. Um, they, they're, they're terrified here. But, but Jesus, um, Jesus calls out to them in, in great compassion uh, through the storm. He calls out. He says, be of good cheer. Take heart, he says. Um, it is I. Do not be afraid. He gives, he gives two things there, right? He gives a command and he gives a reason for the command. First, he says, don't be afraid. Cheer up. Be of good courage. Uh, take heart. Um, uh, and, then, and then he tells them the reason why. He says, it is I. Aren't those precious words? You can picture a parent running to their child when the child's been hurt or when the child's scared, right? Mommy runs up to the, to the, to the little toddler picks him up, says, don't worry, it's me. Mommy's here. It's all, everything's, everything's okay now. 
right? And, and all the comfort that the, mom, the mother is giving that child is this. It's me. I'm here. And that's all you need to know to bring comfort to that, to that child. Right? This is what our Lord Jesus is doing. It's, it's, it is I. I am here. The Lord Jesus Christ is here. Um, so he doesn't say, don't worry, I'm not a ghost. Or, or don't be afraid, uh, don't fear the storm, trust God instead. No, he just he grabs their attention and pulls it all to himself. He it says, it's, it's, it is I. He is the only source. He is the only source of comfort. In the Greek, his words here are ego e me. Literally, it means, it means I am. Um, now, there, there, now, there wasn't anything necessarily immediately unusual in him saying that. It's how anyone might identify themselves. Yeah, it, it's me. It, it, you know, just like we would say that. But for, for our Lord Jesus Christ to say, I am, right, there's, there's some theological weight underneath that, isn't there? Underneath the, the, the apparent simple meaning, there's also this, 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 this great weight to these words. These are the words that God himself used in Exodus 3.14 as he meets with Moses at the burning bush and he's sending Moses to go bring the people out of Egypt. And Moses says, who shall I say is, is, is the God who's doing this? He says, tell them my name is, is I am Yahweh, the Lord, the eternal, unchangeable God, the God of the covenant, the faithful God. So for Jesus to say, take heart, I am. And he's pointing them to this, to his identity, making this subtle but very real claim uh, to be God himself. And this is supported. His claim to to being God himself here is supported when we look very carefully at what he's doing. He's walking across the waves of the sea. We read earlier Job 9, 8, which says that God walks across the waves of the sea. He, He tramples the sea. Psalm 77, 19 describes the Lord like this as well. It says, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. In the Old Testament mind, God walks on the waters. God tramples the sea. The sea of the Old Testament represents chaos and evil and, and, and darkness and danger. And God is the one who conquers it and tramples it. So as Jesus comes out to his beleaguered and drowning disciples. Walking on the sea, he's showing them, I am. Trust me. He's fixing all our attention, loved ones, on himself. And it's a reminder to us that the storm doesn't change who he is. It can change how we think about him. It can cloud our faith. But it doesn't change who he is. Uh, he, he's still God. And, and, and we'll still find comfort as we come to know who He is. In difficult situations, we can often become practical atheists. We can, we can start living and acting and thinking as, as though God isn't there. And He's not going to do anything about the situation. Um, that, 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 um, right. If it's sunny out, God is good. But if I'm in the middle of a hurricane, I, he, He's not there at all. Um, but loved ones, even in the storm, he's the same God. And the fact that he hasn't calmed the storm yet doesn't mean he's not. Even as the storm rages on, he is still I am. The lesson that, we see, that we're seeing here is highlighted in, in what happens with Peter. Um, Peter 
looks out, he sees Jesus walking on the waves, hears his words, identifying him as, as the Lord Jesus Christ. He's full of awe, and, and faith wells up in him, love wells up in him as he sees Christ and his glorious power here. And perhaps impetuously, but with commendable eagerness, I think, he says uh, in verse 28, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you. Right? He has so much faith right now in this moment in the Lord that he knows not only is Jesus able to walk on the waves, he's able to make me walk on the waves. So he says, Lord, if it's you, uh, command me to come out to you on the water. Um, and Jesus responds, one word, come. And Peter does, gets out of the boat, and he starts walking on the water. Um, like walking on solid ground, he's being upheld by the power of God. Um, it's tremendous, isn't it? But then he looks around, and he starts to see the wind whipping the waves, and, and, and he takes his eyes off Jesus, and, and he sees the storm raging all around him, and suddenly the faith is gone, the fear takes over, and he, he's looking at the waves, and he's suddenly drowning, sinking in the water, and he cries out, Lord, save me, in desperation. And immediately Jesus is there, reaches out his hand, pulls him up, and he says to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? It's a remarkable question, isn't it? Um, because I think we sympathize with Peter in a sense. I sympathize with him. Of, of course he doubted. He's, 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 uh, what, what would be more reasonable than for Peter to doubt in this situation? I mean, he's, he, he, who has ever walked on water before? Of course he's going to think that this isn't going to work. Of course he's going to look at the waves and get scared. It makes perfect sense. Who wouldn't be scared? And when we are in the middle of a storm, when we're in the middle of difficult circumstances, and, there, and it looks like to us there's nothing holding us up anymore, of course we get scared. But Jesus' question, brothers and sisters, flips our way of thinking on its head, or, or really flips it upside down, right? Because Jesus' question here tells us that the only rational thing to do in any circumstance is to trust him. That, that the only reasonable thing to do in any circumstance is not to doubt and not to fear, but to trust him. The surprising thing in the passage from Jesus' perspective is not that Peter believed enough to get out of the boat, but that Peter doubted in the face of Jesus. Responding in fear and doubt, loved ones, to our circumstances makes no sense. Because they don't change who Jesus is. He's the same, uh, whether there's a storm or whether there's not a storm. So we need to keep our eyes on him. Keep looking at him. Keep, keep setting our hearts on who is he. Is this circumstance that I'm in right now changing who he is? No, it's not. So I'm not going to fear. I'm going to keep trusting him. His power is not any way lessened by my circumstances. His love for me is in any way diminished by this circumstance. The storm doesn't change who he is. Who is he? We've already seen he's pointed to his identity as God, using these words, I am, and walking on the waves of the sea. Um, we also see now another mark of his identity. Uh, he, and, he and Peter climb into the boat. The disciples are in awe, and they worship him, and they say, truly, you are the Son of God, in, in verse 33. Uh, um, hang on to that. Jesus is the Son of God. Hang on to that and what that means. The Son of God, it, it means that he shares God's very nature. 
Um, the disciples may not yet realize just how deeply true this is, that he is fully God as well as fully man, but they will come to see it, that he's the second person of the Trinity, very God, a very God from all eternity. But there's a precious comfort for us in this reality that he is son of God, that he is the divine creator and sustainer of everything. The title also refers to his identity as the Messiah. As the, as, as the one who would come as, as, as the great savior of the people of, uh, of God. Um, so, so we see those two things held together in this title for him. He's, he's, the, he's the divine son of God. He's also, he's also the, the, the one God has sent to be the savior of his people. And so we don't need to fear no matter what the circumstances are because this is always who he is. The son of God, the almighty savior, come to save us. There's a hymn we're going to sing later on that puts this, um, puts this so well. Um, God says to us in the hymn, uh, When through the deep waters I call you to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with you, your troubles to bless, and sanctify to you your deepest distress. Third lesson of discipleship in the text. The third lesson we see here, loved ones, is that Jesus' kingdom will end the storm. So Jesus doesn't immediately end the storm. He comes to us. He meets with us. He bears us through it. He doesn't immediately end it. But we get this promise uh, that Jesus' kingdom will end the storm. Um, as much as this account uh, is teaching us about who Jesus is and the wonderful comfort of, of who he is. This account is also teaching us something that we need to grasp about his kingdom, about the nature of his kingdom. It's teaching us to find comfort and courage, not only in what Jesus, who, who he is as God, but what he does as our king and as he brings his kingdom. Um, to, to put this in, in, in somewhat technical terms, uh, but, but helpful, I think, this account here is not just about Christology, Right? the teaching, the doctrine about who Christ is. But this account here is also about eschatology, last things, the, the doctrine of, uh, of what God does at the end of the ages in, in the kingdom of God as he brings that kingdom to bear. Let me, let me unpack this. Um, Jesus' actions here are showing us what his kingdom means for our suffering. We, we see it in, in how he calms the storm, first of all. He climbs into the boat and the storm stops. Um, we, we already looked at some of the Old Testament imagery behind the sea and the storm and, and all that, right? Um, uh, that, that there's this imagery in the Old Testament about the, 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 the sea being, being uh, representing evil and chaos and death. And uh, now Jesus comes and he brings an end to that stormy, raging sea. We get this wonderful imagery in the book of Revelation uh, that, 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 that drives this point home. Revelation 4.6 describes the sea before the throne of God as being perfectly still, like glass for stillness. Right, so it's this image of, of what was before, this raging, uncontrollable evil, completely still, completely calm, um, show, showing evil defeated by our Lord Jesus Christ. We get this same idea at the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 1. In the vision of the new heavens and new earth, John writes, the sea was no more. 
I don't think he means that there won't be an ocean in the new creation. Uh, We'll have to wait and see. But what he's saying is, evil will be no more. Destructive forces out of your control will be no more. Death and destruction won't be there anymore. Disaster won't be there anymore. God's peace will so encompass everything um, and that, it, that it transforms everything. So as Jesus comes, tramples the storm, gets in the boat, and calms the storm, he's telling us something vital. Right? The storm is going to end. Not, not just this little storm in the disciples' life, and not just that little storm that you're in right now that is in your life. The storm, all storms, will end. He will trample all of them, and he'll, he'll say, peace be still, to all of them. And he does this as he brings, as he brings this kingdom we also see this reinforced as we looked at what happens at the very end of this text. So after Jesus calms the storm, they go on in the boat to the shore. And in verses 34 to 36, they come to this region of Gennesaret. Jesus gets out of the boat. People recognize him and they run around, tell everyone, Jesus is here, get everyone who's sick, bring him to him, he'll heal them. Uh, so crowds immediately gather to Jesus and, and he heals them Oh, we, we've seen this scene over and over and over in this gospel, haven't we? Jesus healing, healing these crowds. And it's so wonderful how he goes right into the middle of the crowd, not afraid to rub shoulders with the sick and the sinner. Right? The Pharisees, they want to stand at arm's length right? because they don't want to become unclean. But Jesus goes right into the middle of it. And he touches and he yields. And he takes, he takes, takes that uncleanness away and gives cleanness in its stead. He takes all the suffering and all the pain and all the sickness onto himself. He bears it, as it were, and he gives his wholeness to those around him. But this account here is also showing us this, this end time kingdom that's coming in as Jesus is is bringing this kingdom. Every miracle he's performing isn't just an isolated act of kindness. Right? It's a sign. It's a sign that peace is coming. Life, eternal life is coming. Um, Isaiah 35 is a wonderful prophecy about Christ's coming, about the kingdom coming. And it says this, the... Uh, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Um, the prophet's looking forward to when the kingdom comes, the end of the ages comes, and God brings this perfect peace and healing and wholeness by his powerful spirit. Um, and Jesus is showing us that, that, that in him, this is beginning. That in him, the end-time kingdom of peace is, is coming. That, that he has come to calm every storm and to heal every heart and, and to bring suffering and pain to, an, to its, to its final, final end. He's come to give resurrection life for us. His great, great promise that this has begun in his coming. Not, not yet finished, not yet consummated. We still have storms. Uh, we, we still get sick and go through suffering. But the promise is that the storm will finally end and that it's already that that's already starting to dawn in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus does this. How, how does how does he do this? How does he calm the storm? How, how, how does he how does he take away the, the sickness and the suffering? Um, well, he comes and he goes into the storm. 
And he gets buried by the storm. Right? He, he gives himself over to suffering. He becomes the man of sorrows. He takes our place. We deserve the storm. Every one of them. But he comes. He takes the storm of God's wrath. He takes the curse. And he bears it all for us. He takes our sins away for us. And he rises again from the dead. New life. Eternal resurrection. End time life. Starts in him. And then he pours that out on his, out on his people. So loved ones. Um, if you trust in our Lord Jesus Christ, if you have this, this, this relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, then, then His eternal life is already by His Spirit working in your heart. And, and one day it is going to bear the fruit of eternal life in your body too. Forever and ever. And, and so we have this wonderful, glorious hope in us. The kingdom of God already planted in us. And, and there's, a, there's a hope and a comfort and an encouragement there that, that no storm around you can shake or damage. Right? Because you know every single storm is going to end. Every one of them for the Christian. That, that, that one day it, it will be over. He will say, peace be still. And all of it, all the pain and suffering that, that, that you as a Christian have ever experienced will just be washed away. And you won't even feel the regret of it. Uh, anymore. Not even the aftertaste of pain will remain in the new heavens and new earth. And, and Christ will come. He'll wipe away the tears. He'll heal every one of His children, no matter how deep that hurt went. So whatever the storm you're in, remember these things, loved ones. This is your firm foundation. That Jesus remains who He is. The great I Am, the great Son of God, through all the storms, that He's with you, and that His kingdom is coming and the storms are one day all going to end. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank You for all that You have done for us. We thank You for all that You've accomplished for us and all that You are for us. We pray now that you would come and, Lord, let this word not just glance off, but let it take deep root and bring sweet comfort and encouragement to our hearts. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.